0: Welcome into the debut episode of the Hops and Spirits Bar Conversations. That's right, we're mixing it up this time. We're expanding our six pack of questions because sometimes people are just so interesting, we have to ask more than six questions. And that's what the Bar Conversations are for. We'll be talking to authors, musicians, and just people that I find very interesting. So you never know who will show up here. And joining us for our first one here in just a little bit is author Wesley Brown. You may have heard him on our regular Hops and Spirits uh, episode that dropped this week with uh, Pretentious Glass and Pretentious Beers, Matthew Cummings. Uh, Wesley did the six-pack on that. Uh, But we're going to go a little deeper into the book, Hillbilly Hustle, here shortly. But first, remember, you can find Hops and Spirits on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. at Hops, Spirits, all one word. That's right, Hops, Spirits, all one word on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And don't forget to be on the lookout for our Whiskey Weeks presented by Ober Gatlinburg down in Tennessee. Whiskey Weeks is coming up in October and it's going to be a lot of fun. But now let's get into the bar conversations and joining us is Wesley Brown. He's an author who just recently released the book Hillbilly Hustle. He's also a lawyer, newspaper columnist, businessman, coach and family man. Yeah, that's a quite a list there, Wesley. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me, Jonathan.
0: Now, is there anything else that you you do these days because I mean, I feel like that's a long list of, of things that are going on in your life.
1: Um, I think that's all I don't was sort of the, the key thing to the book is I'm involved in restaurants. I don't know if that was on that list.
0: I, I guess maybe businessman could be in that, but I mean, you, I mean, how, how do you balance all of that? Cause I mean, you, you are you still coaching lacrosse? Um, no, or, well, 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 if it gets played, <laughs>
1: yeah, that's a good point. I was, I coached the high school team and then last year I switched to middle school uh, and that's pretty easy to track based on where my sons are playing at any given time. <laughs> and I did not expect to coach last year, and there was no middle school coach. Uh, and lacrosse coaches are kind of a rare thing in this area. So when my son's team didn't have a coach, everybody kind of looked at me and said, Hey, you coach lacrosse, right? And so I wound up unexpectedly coaching middle school. I do not have a gig for this coming spring. I'm hoping to just be a, uh, a uh, spectator but we'll see it never seems to
0: work out that way for me <laughs> it's just another thing you can add to that that growing resume of yours <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> now we're, we're here to talk about the the book you just uh, released this year hillbilly hustle how would you describe that book is it kind of a does it fall in the crime genre thriller what, what how would you describe it
1: it's one of those books that straddles genres, but yeah, the the primary one that it seems to get categorized under is crime fiction and rural noir. Uh, those are the two primary categories. If you go on, you know, some of the book sale websites, they have it under Southern fiction, under crime fiction, under under rural. So, I'd say all those fit.
0: And then what inspired this story of Hillbilly Hustle? Because to me, you know, knowing you, uh, I can see there there's a little bit of uh, you're pulling from kind of what you, you've you gone through, or at least, you know, where you've lived and things like that. But what inspired this story? The My
1: family unexpectedly came to be the owners of Apollo Pizza in Richmond back in 2012. And Apollo Pizza has been around since 1981, and we're the third group of owners to have it. And of course you mentioned that I'm an attorney. I knew for a long time because the law enforcement would talk about it at the courthouse and different people would talk about it. Back in the day, they sold pot at Apollo pizza and we'd owned it a couple of years and I had written for a long time and was kind of looking for that one great story I could tell. And the premise that jumped out at me was a pizza shop where they sell pot is kind of an interesting place to start. And so I drew from that. It is, it is entirely fictional. I really don't know much about what went on and who really was even behind it at Apollo, whether it was, you know, just like rogue delivery drivers or a rogue cook or who was involved in the fact that you could get pot from there, but it was pretty well known you could. And that was the jumping off point. And like the, the book starts with a poker game and I don't play as much as I used to, but I used to be a really avid poker player. So I kind of decided, okay, I'm going to have a poker game here because I know of once I speak there. And of course the legal system becomes involved in different things. And then obviously the pizza shop, I know a lot about. So I really did. You don't have to write what you know, but in this situation, I I chose a lot of what I knew to write about.
0: And then you you kind of touched on it, the the poker aspect. There's a kind of one of the other pieces that's kind of maybe you can attribute to real life events or circumstances is a poker game uh, that you kind of wrote about uh, in the book, too, right?
1: Yeah, there was a game. I used to play a lot of the sort of backroom games here in, in central Kentucky and mainly in Madison County and a little bit in Estill County and occasionally in Fayette. But I was at a game in Big Hill, Kentucky, in southern Madison County, and a guy there invited me to a game in Jackson County that was over the um, pool hall, was what he said. And I was real interested in it, and I thought I'd go, and the guy who ran the Big Hill game, who was a friend of mine, pulled me aside afterward, and he's like, that game is a dangerous game. He said, (laughs) if you win that game, you may not get out with the money or you may get, you know, you may get taken at that game. You know, uh, be careful, maybe don't go. And I ultimately did not go to the game. But one of the fun things, of course, about writing is I, I wanted to put my protagonist in a tough situation. So I sent him to that game. And uh, it's not exactly in the place or, that it is that the one in Jackson County was in, but it's sort of similar. And it's inspired by that game that I never, I never did go play.
0: And then, is there any other you know things that you kind of pulled from that you know people can maybe go? Oh, I could see where that could really happen.
1: Well, there are stories of restaurants getting under the thumb of people who maybe are not totally legit, legitimate business people who can somewhat run them into the ground that that's there's after I wrote it, I actually heard from people who, who would say, Hey, was it based on this restaurant? And I'm like, no, I didn't know about that <laughs> restaurant, but that's something that happens. And that's that, the gist of it is the, the owner of the pizza shop, which I didn't call it Apollo pizza. Our place is Apollo pizza. I called it Porthos pizza, which if, if you know what that is, that is the overweight comic relief member of the three musketeers And uh, that's the inspiration for my fictional pizza shop, that it happens to be located exactly where Apollo Pizza is in Richmond and happens to have more or less the same uh, architectural layout. So it's a a reference to, it's clearly inspired by Apollo. Um, But anyway, uh, I sort of ran with the idea of what, would have happened if a pizza shop like that got underwater with a organized sort of crime figure. And, uh, that's, that's the premise of the book.
0: And then I know you started, uh, kind of writing this back in 2014 and then you went out to, I believe a workshop. And at that workshop, you basically almost switched it all up. You cut out like 25,000 words, a character, um, what made you kind of, you know, maybe switch things up from that first, first draft to what, you know, uh, people read nowadays.
1: I started it at the Appalachian writers workshop in Hyman, Kentucky, but then the last thing I did before it was published and I, and I was under contract and had a deadline to finish it is I went to the tin house workshop, uh, out in Portland, Oregon. And I had a teacher there named Ben Percy, who's a pretty successful writer and, uh, Pretty well known guy in the field. And he, I had two protagonists. I had Knox Thompson, the pizza shop owner, who's kind of being tormented by an antagonist named uh, Burl Spoon, who's a marijuana guy, marijuana cultivator from um, Jackson County. And then I had this sort of forlorn, lovelorn guy who worked for him named Casey Monroe, whose, you know, mom had passed away and he's having girl troubles. And that those were the two sides of the book. And Ben just said, look, the Casey part just isn't as good as the Knox Thompson part. What I think you should do is just cut Casey out and make it all about Knox Thompson. And I came back from that workshop and told my editor, here's what Ben Percy says I should do. And she says, are you up to it? It actually, you know, sounds like a lot, but sounds like a good idea. Can you pull it off in the time you have? And I had, 30, 40 days or something like that to get the final in.
0: No, nothing like uh, pushing yourself to the limit, right?
1: <laughs> no. And, and, and so I, I actually cut 50,000 words and wrote back about 20,000. And I and I was able to repurpose some of what I had in before. Casey Monroe actually gender flipped to a female character in some scenes. And I was able to uh, salvage a certain number of scenes but anyway, Casey Monroe does not exist anymore. And the fact of the matter is, my, my editor said it at the time that I finished it, and I felt it too. It's much better. It is a lot better book the way I did it. It's gotten really, you know, we got really good reviews from like Publishers Weekly and Kirkus Reviews and stuff like that. So the world thought the same thing. So it turned out to be the right decision, I suppose. And it was daunting. But anyway, yeah, this... It was, you know, four years in the making, and in the last thirty days, it had a massive rewrite. So glad I mean, it, Though,
0: I mean, you know, sometimes that that that's how it works, and and things work out. And to me, I believe you found the sweet spot, so to speak, uh, when you did that.
1: Well, thank you. I appreciate it.
0: And then, you know, you mentioned it. You're an attorney. Uh, you've been practicing law since what 1999, I believe. Is that right? <laughs>
1: I did. I came in as a prosecutor in Madison County and I've, I've been in private practice since for about 19 years um, now. So yeah, long time. Uh,
0: I know that's got to keep you busy cause that's your basic day, day job. <laughs> um, what, what's it like to practice law and then try to find time to write on the side cause writing's not an easy process either.
1: <laughs> no, you would know very well. I know. Yeah. Um, I love writing. I have always loved writing from the time I was in elementary school. That was the one thing I loved. I was I was kind of a, uh, I was kind of rambunctious in school. And when they started doing creative writing, that was the thing that captivated me. And my teachers who kind of had a hard time with me would kind of light up on creative writing day and say, Wes, it's creative writing day. Behave. And I go, OK, because I loved it. <laughs> So even though I became an attorney, I always kind of kept that passion for writing. I, I really enjoyed it. And I say this all the time. I mean, I, people people who hear me talk probably hear sick of hear me say it, but some people golf, I write. That's what I love to do. So what I would do is I would get home from a day at work and I, you know, I work I, I'm gonna I work full time as an attorney. I help manage the restaurants on the side. But one of the things I would do is at the end of my day. I would come home and I'd take a nap for a couple hours and then I would stay up late into the night writing when my family was kind of down asleep and weren't, you know, I wasn't, wasn't bothering them or, you know, whatever. Uh, and that's how, that's how I fit it in is a lot of late nights. And it kind of, you know, there were times when I felt like it tested their patience and <laughs> writing habit, but they were pretty good about it all and all. And um, it's been rewarding, you know, it, it's as you know, you don't make unless you're a best selling blockbuster author, you're not going to make a lot of money writing a book anymore. So it's really something you got to do for the love of it. And that's why I did it.
0: I was going to say, and not only do you know, is this a book you've published? You this is your fourth book and you're also a columnist. So you, you've done a little writing uh, uh, for a while now that's been that people can go and, and enjoy.
1: Well, this is my first published book. OK, I, I took three swings at writing a novel before this. And, you know, that's not an un- uncommon story, but I did not publish this until I was 45 years old. I started writing my first novel while I was in law school, the summer break between my first and second year. And that book never came out. And the next book never came out. And the next book never came out. And probably, at least the first two for sure, shouldn't have come out. The third one, I still think's <laughs> okay. But it took me four tries to write a book that a publisher said, yes, we want to publish this book. Um, And I'm kind of glad in a way because I I feel like I put my best foot forward. I was ready for it when I finally published. And, uh, you know, it was more rewarding because I worked so hard to get it done.
0: Uh, Any chance that uh, you you go back and and maybe uh, do a little revision on those first three so that they see the light of day?
1: Not the first one for sure, probably not the second one either. The third one I still have some hopes for. and we'll see. Uh, that one, like I said, it was kind of a process and I think I was a I think I was a pretty good writer by the time I wrote the third one and maybe with a couple more years wisdom I could I could tone it up and maybe put that one out. But I'm really looking to the future and trying to I, I, I've got two new projects i'm working on one of them's a memoir and one of them is a follow-up novel to hillbilly hustle so i'm i'm keeping busy with with new stuff and forward looking about it
0: there you go i was gonna i was gonna ask if there's any more down the down the road but it it sounds like there is 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 the memoir something that you've always thought about or, or how's that one
1: that one sort of presented itself um I wasn't originally from Kentucky, but we used to spend some time in Kentucky when I was a kid. And one year we were in an RV and we got stranded in uh, Mount Vernon, Rockcastle County for like five days. And then this year, my parents were during the pandemic were in the villages in Florida and I, you know, they've the villages have been in the news a little bit for some sort of controversial stuff, rightfully so. It was some kind of, you know, not great stuff, not that the villages are all bad. But anyway, my parents were down there for the winter and I had to go get them during the pandemic because they're they're older and there was some concern. So I took an R V down and it was at the time when everything was really kind of shut down and people weren't going in anywhere. And the idea of taking the RV was we'll, we'll, we'll live out of the RV. They wouldn't have to go in anywhere. So I went to do that. And just, just to kind of give you an idea, I stopped in Mount Vernon and (laughs) I had an accident with the RV in Mount Vernon and wound up in a mechanics on my way down and went on down to, to, uh, to uh, the villages and there were some odd circumstances there. So I was kind of going to write about these two tr- ill-fated trips to uh, Florida that both wound up stranded in Mount Vernon.
0: I like it. That, that sounds like a, a great book and a great project. And then uh, where can folks find Hillbilly Hustle, um, whether they're local to Kentucky or, you know, living outside of the state?
1: It's not hard to find at all. It's on uh, the, the, my favorite place to recommend is a website called bookshop.org. Bookshop.org is the independent booksellers uh, alternative to Amazon. And they actually profits from bookshop.org go to um, local independent booksellers. It's on Amazon too. A lot of people buy it on Amazon. I know that people use Amazon. Amazon's handy, but I like to try and route people to the small sellers. It, my book is published by West Virginia University Press. You can get it on their website. You can buy it here in the local area. There are signed copies of it at um, Joseph Beth in Lexington. There are lots of independent booksellers in the region have it. One of my favorite ones that I think is funny is Target has it. I don't know if anyone's bought it from Target, but for some reason it's a lot of fun to me to go look and see it. listed on <laughs> target.com. Um, I don't know why. But anyway, you it's not hard to find. Put in Hillbilly Hustle. The other thing is my website is WesleyBrown.com. There's links on there to every place where you can buy the book online.
0: And then before we get into some of the, the fun questions, you know, on, at the top, you kind of mentioned you, you know, you're a restaurant owner now that the book is based somewhat on you know, or at least you know, has some pullback to Apollo pizza. Uh, which has gone from one location in Richmond Kentucky to uh, you know four across Central Kentucky did you ever see yourself as a pizza man?
1: <laughs> that's a that's a good question realistically no um I actually always wanted to do it and had this idea that it was something I, I would love to get into but I never thought I would We did not, intentionally get into the business when we did get in. Um, A friend of mine owned it before we had it, and he passed away, unfortunately. And there's a little bit about that in the book. I I somewhat uh, count him as some of the inspiration for for this, and I hope he would kind of like what's happened with the book and also with the shops. But anyway, we wound up, a partner and I uh, wound up having the building, and we were just going to renovate the apartments and rent Apollo Pizza out to some of the previous employees who said they wanted to take over and in the end it all fell through and we're not stuck but we had Apollo and we had no one to run it or open it and my business partner one day said to me do you think we could open it well I had worked in restaurants a lot when I was in in college and even into law school I'd worked in restaurants so a good amount of that fell on me and we hired staff and lo and behold we opened it I remember I I I I always think it's funny on the, on the uh, topics in Richmond, they speculated about how long we could keep Apollo back open. And the most optimistic person thought we could keep it back open six months. And so three new locations later, we feel pretty vindicated that we did figure out how to run a pizza shop, but it was terrifying at first. We really (laughs) didn't know. We, We learned by the seat of our pants. Let me put it that way. Um, but no, um, The the true answer is no. I really never saw this happening, and I'm glad it happened, and I enjoy it, and my my family really likes it, and you know people really like Apollo Pizza, so it's fun to be a part of something that people people feel affection for. But it, it it was a very unexpected turn in my life.
0: Well, it seems to work out out well and you have lasted well past that, that six months for sure. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right. Now we're gonna go to the fun stuff. We're gonna open up a six pack of questions, is what I like to call them. Just okay. more just straight up for you. Beer or bourbon. What do you like these days or what's your go-to? Uh,
1: my go-to is beer. Mm. And and my secondary is bourbon. I, <laughs> I mix in a little bit of bourbon here and there, but I mostly drink beer.
0: And then uh, to me, I think one of the coolest parts of, of the book Hillbilly Hustle, was part of your, your your launch when you guys were gonna you know have the big book tour and all that. You got to be part of making of a beer called Hillbilly Hustle, the logger from Country Boy. What was that like?
1: That was awesome. <laughs> um, my buddy Nate Coppage is the brewer at Country Boy and he's also a, a reader. We actually have a book club that he's a part of. So when I had a book coming out, I really was hoping to be able to do this, contacted him and his first thing was, well, I need to read the book first because he didn't want it he didn't want to attach a country boy beer to a book that was no good. but he read it and he was satisfied that it was good. And he also said, you know, I need to read it to know what my inspiration would be. And so we went through some different iterations, but it wound up being a uh, blackberry lemon lager. And since it came out, it is one of the best-selling beers at Country Boy. They now are getting requests to distribute it in Ohio. And next spring, if all holds, I do believe there are going to be cans of Country Boy released. West Virginia University Press has approved the book cover for the label. And I have to give credit where credit is due. The first person I know who had a book with a, with a book-themed beer was David Joy, did this with Innovation Brewing in uh, Silva, North Car- uh, Silva, North Carolina. That's kind of where I got the idea for it, but Country Boy made it happen. So it's been really, really a fun part. And, you know, the the book sales are good, but they would be better without the pandemic. I couldn't go on tour, but it's been kind of nice to see, well, if nothing else, the beer sales have been really, really strong.
0: <laughs> I was going to say, that you know, at least something – uh, you know, else came out of this and, and you can have, have a beer and read the book all in all at once. Um, uh, what's the hardest job you have? Is it an attorney, a coach? Is it dad? What is the hardest job you have these days?
1: Attorney's the toughest one. I enjoy being an attorney and I, and I practice areas that, that interest me, but the rigor of being an attorney, uh, nothing else really compares to that, uh, I find being a dad not a job. I just really enjoy that part of my life. so I, I, I wouldn't call that part a job. I the, 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 my greatest fear when I do all these different things is I'm always saying I'm still practicing law. I don't want anyone to ever think that I've moved on from the practice law because sometimes I get asked that, but that is my livelihood as practicing law. Everything else I, I fit I fit into my my free time aside from it. but yeah that's 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 the tough one.
0: And then you kind of touched on this earlier, but how did you get into writing? was it was it those creative writing classes back in school? Was that kind of the the complete jump off?
1: That was what told me how much I loved it was was elementary school. I just you know they they would say write five hundred words, and I'd write three thousand. and And my teachers I, and and my teachers back then were really encouraging, I guess because they they knew I had a passion for it. I, the funny part is, no one really asked you to write much uh, between elementary school and college. You know, there's kind of a dead spot in there. But when I got to college, I really took I took every creative writing class I could and and still graduate. That was the one class that I truly loved. And I had thoughts of maybe going on and getting an MFA, but you know, ultimately, I decided to go to law school because I thought I could pursue both. And I saw the handwriting on the wall too, that it's, it's a challenging thing to just be a writer, unless you can get on with the university and teach. So I, I I worked really hard at it in undergrad. And then I went to law school and I was away from it, but I just couldn't stand it. And so, like I said, I started to try to write my first novel while I was in law school. When I came out of law school and was an attorney, I really didn't write anything for probably eight or nine years. And then I started going to writing courses at EKU. I I took these like summer courses that you audit and you don't get any credit for. And that got me back into it. But the thing that really got me back was the Appalachian Writers Workshop at the Hyman Settlement School. I would recommend to anyone who has an interest and a passion for writing to, to look into that workshop. It's a great workshop. I studied under Silas House my first year there, and that really was the jumping off point. And he and I have remained friends to this day, and he's been really supportive of my book, which I appreciate. Um, but that's, that's the writing tale. But again, it took me from the start of my first novel to publication 23 years. So that, that, it's, it, it was a long haul.
0: And then what's the best place you've been able to visit through all your journeys in life?
1: We went to Ireland last summer as a family and I did not want to come home. (laughs) I'm going to say Ireland, the pub life, uh, there really suited me and also my wife and kids. We just really felt at home in Ireland. So that was the best thing. And it was, it was the, it was the last trip we took as a family before my oldest son started college at UK. So it was a pretty special time.
0: And then any place you'd like to go that you haven't been able to go yet?
1: Mm, that's a, a lot of places. Um, I'd like to go elsewhere in Europe. I also would like to go to Japan. I've always been had a somewhat of a fascination with Japan and I've not been able to do anything like that. So th- those are those are really the the main places I can think of that I'd want to go. I, I've, I've got a good friend who's from England who has got me to get into Tottenham hotspur soccer or football. And also Robert Johnson, who's a good friend of mine who is the the chair of the EKU MFA program is also a Tottenham hotspur fan. They play in North London. And I, I guess if I had to pick one thing, I'd like to go to North London and see a, a Spurs game there.
0: I was going to say, that sounds like fun. Hit up the pubs afterward. and uh, Sounds like a great trip to me.
1: <laughs> uh, I would have friends there too, which, is, which makes it nice. So.
0: And then the final question, you know, you've gotten to know a lot of cool people, do a lot of cool things. What's the best thing that you've been able to do because of your jobs or just who you've been able to know?
1: You know, One of the most inspiring times I had, and it wasn't a one-time deal, but I really enjoy the Western Carolina University Spring Literary Festival. And I was supposed to have gone there this year and it was canceled by the pandemic. That was a little bit heartbreaking, but try to keep it in perspective because much worse things are happening to people than having their book tours stepped on by this pandemic. I mean, it's a It's a horrible tragedy that we have going on. So my, 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 my issues are small, but my first year there, uh, two of my writing, uh, sort of heroes are Ron Rash and Colin McCann. And one of my good friends is George Singleton, who is a author, who's a close friend of Ron Rash's. Well, the first year that I went to that festival, George Singleton was reading and Colin McCann was the keynote. And on the second night, uh, my wife and I were invited to Ron Rash's house to sit and hang out with Colin McCann. And he sang Irish pub songs all night. I don't know if that's the right thing to call him, but that's kind of how I think. (laughs) And we had drinks and I was literally sitting with with literary heroes of mine. Also, Pam Duncan, who's an instructor there, who's one of my teachers who I'm great friends with, who I greatly admire. She was there, and I. I've got to say, of everything I've done, I think that first time. Oh, I I should point out too that was the that was. I also met David Joy, who's just a phenomenal novelist, who's who has a new book out called When These Mountains Burn that has just really taken off. Uh, I met him, and so he was there as well that night. That's got to be the peak. There's a picture of all of us from that night. And I felt like a little bit of a pretender because I was the only one there in that photo that wasn't a published author. I think Jeremy Jones was in that picture too. He's a great writer and a real nice guy who teaches there. And I just thought this is the pinnacle. But at the same time, I thought I really wish I had a book too. And so if I could recreate that and go back now that I'm published as well, it'd feel pretty good. But I got to tell you on that night, it felt pretty damn good to be there. Hippin' beers and, and singing Irish songs with those guys.
0: Oh, that sounds like a a great night and a, and a great uh, memory for you there. Uh, Wesley, thank you so much for, for taking time to talk a little bit about your life, the book, Hillbilly hustle. And one last time, where can people find out about you and the book?
1: Wesleybrown.com, uh, has all kinds of information. Also, uh, there's a Hillbilly hustle page on Facebook And, you know, get up with me. I love doing book clubs. I did a book club just this past week and reading. So there's a way to contact me if you want to read the book and do book clubs. As you can tell from this podcast, I'm all too happy to talk. I am a talker and uh, I'm I'm glad to discuss writing and reading and beer and pizza and law and what I learned about marijuana and tattooing and everything (laughs) for the book. I love to I love to have a good chat with people. That and that's also one of the reasons I loved Ireland. They love a good chat, too. So anyway, uh, get me get me either of those places. I'd love to connect.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Wesley Brown, thank you so much for taking the time
1: jonathan thank you so much i really enjoyed it
0: thank you again to wesley brown author of hillbilly hustle for being our guest on the debut episode of bar conversations remember you can keep up with hops and spirits on instagram twitter and facebook at hop spirits all one word you can also listen to past episodes of hops and spirits and now bar conversations on uh let's see uh let me get you the list here apple spotify amazon iheart google TuneIn, and so many more Uh, you can pretty much find us everywhere podcasts are available listen to all of our episodes we've got a lot of great ones a lot of great interviews including our last one which wesley was on for the six pack just the six pack with pretentious glass and pretentious beers matthew cummings that was a blast there and remember we got the whiskey weeks coming up in october five straight episodes uh, featuring whiskeys from the midwest and we're also going to have a few uh giveaways and other fun to go along with that so remember to keep your eye out there and until next time Cheers everyone.